0: The pattern podcast. Make left traffic clear for the option.
1: Alright, squad and VFR improvement exchange approved for my goblin. Line up and wait 7 range. For my goblin. Mark Tower 172,
0: Romeo Downwind, Triple
1: 133, ready to take
2: off.
0: I'm John. I'm Chris. And I'm Mark. We are the In The Pattern Podcast.
1: Welcome to Episode 3 of In The Pattern Podcast. This is Chris, and uh, again with me I've got John and Mark. John, why don't you say hi?
2: Hi, this is John. Thanks for listening. Hey, and this is Mark. Uh, thanks for joining us.
1: All right, so what's been going on, guys? Let me uh, First of all, let me tell you. I'm I'm just a little upset. It's been I think close to a month. Oh well, wait a hold it hold it hold it. October tenth was the last time I've had my ass in the airplane, and it's starting to tick me off. Uh, if it's not one thing, it's the other. I, I'm there. had a, a some sort of prop injury, if you will. I still don't know what it was exactly. Um, and the plane I is still not available. Uh, one week, my my instructor was in Mexico. So, anyways, I, I should have soloed by now. I haven't. I'm just, like, itching to get out there. Last weekend, um, my wife was on the phone with uh, our friends, and um, her, husband, her husband's got that little Cessna 140 I was telling you about, and I, I yelled to her at the phone. I said, hey, hey, check and see if uh, Dean's flying this weekend. And uh, she told me. She asked Sally, and, and uh, she checked with Dean. He said that his plane's in the shop getting its annual done. I was like, oh, man. No one's got a plane to, that I can fly in right now, so I was all ticked off. I was looking to go fly something, somewhere, with someone, anything, but nothing. So hopefully if all goes well, I'll finally uh, be back in the left seat this Sunday, hopefully. I'm going to text my instructor uh, tomorrow and, and see if that plane's going to be ready. I'm just itching. So how about you, John? What's been going on with you? Well, I uh, I didn't get the fly last weekend
0: either, but I was on vacation in Florida, which... Uh Acceptable, especially since it's, I don't know, 30 degrees in Maryland right now. (laughs) So I spent the weekend in Florida to go to the Fantasy of Flight Museum in uh, Polk City. And it's just a really, really awesome aviation museum with just so many cool planes. And when they said that they had 110 planes for restoration, uh, I was just wow. And you just hangers of old planes that are beat to hell and and need to be redone. Um, Literally walls of just engines. They had a wall of, um, I think it was Merlins, just a wall of them. Ooh. Brand brand new. All they they needed, uh, brand new from World War II, all they needed was just an overhaul to check them out and throw them in a plane. Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was nuts. So there's 110 planes waiting on restoration? I think that's what they said. Or like in in, restoration some, or, in some sort of process of restoration or whatever.
0: Yes, but there's only like less than 10 planes that are actually being restored at the moment because it. they said it takes somewhere between 5 to 15 years to restore one plane.
1: Oh, yikes. Yeah, I saw something. I know it was on Discovery, Discovery Wings, whatever, something like that. And they had something like that. I, I don't know if it was that museum or another one, but uh, similar thing where they just... They had their own boneyard of planes that needed restoring, and the amount of hours that it took to just do one, like you said, it was just ground up every nut and bolt. Everything got touched, but it was just like a gorgeous brand-new airplane when it was done.
0: Yeah, and um, I have a bunch of pictures I'll be uploading that I'll probably post in the show notes, so um, you can kind of see the whole experience there. But it it was really neat. Um, I was really, really close to buying a biplane ride, not going to lie.
1: Ooh, That'd be fun. What kind of biplane?
0: They had a new standard that you could get that could sit four people on the front. Um, you could it was like seventy bucks for a fifteen minute ride, or if you had like two hundred and fifty bucks, you could get thirty minutes of stick time and a steerman. I'm in. Um, <laughs> I, I was that's exactly what I said. The next time I go down, I'm really considering it taking down my logbook and being like, yeah. So uh, that was pretty much my weekend. Um, I haven't actually flown other than the commercial flight since my solo. And hoping to be back in this weekend, depending on how this whole money situation works. I have a couple of kinks happening right now. We'll see how that works out. But that's what I've been up to. So, uh, Mark, what have, what have you been doing?
2: Well, last week I uh, I had to take a business trip to Denver, which uh, was pretty of, of event, eventless. Uh, beautiful area. I wanted to try to hook up with the... Um, the Mile High Flyers crew, but it just didn't work out. Uh, talked to them on online and uh, just, we could just never hook up. So next time I get a shot, uh, going back out to our Denver office, I'll uh, see what I can do uh, about hooking up with them. It was really kind of funny because before I left, uh, I got my endorsement to solo. I, my instructor just kind of out of the blue. He goes, Hey, uh, you have your logbook there? Yeah, no problem. And he goes here and he flips back to the endorsement page and, I, which I wasn't ready for. And, uh, he goes, Hey, you have your medical, right? Yeah. Well, let me see your certificate. I pull it out and he starts writing on that. So the entire week that I was in Denver, I knew that he had endorsed me to solo and it was just driving me crazy. But at the same time I started thinking about it, you know, <laughs> uh, only having, I think at that time, 11.1 hours. I was like, Oh no, you're really going to let me fly by myself. And so I dwelled on it a little bit, tried not to think too much about it. But uh, anyway, I got back into town here. Um, I'd been thinking about it all week long. And then uh, Friday did a little bit of flying and uh, we'll uh, we'll just leave it there for now. So uh, <laughs> that's
1: what I've been up to. A little suspense for later. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> speaking of that steerman, it reminded me of something. Do you remember hearing about that uh little mishap at uh Washington's Reagan National with that steerman uh, yeah, earlier the, this year with the with the yeah. feet on the brakes? Yeah, yeah. It was a a reporter that was sitting up front and uh coming into land the the pilot didn't know he had his feet on the brakes. The dude was pushing hard and that's how he ended up flipping it right over.
2: It, oh, it was a, it was a, a a lady journalist. Yeah. She just she was just thought that she, they were foot foot rests.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and instead she destroyed. Well, I shouldn't say destroyed, but put a hurtin' on that pretty steerman, John if, or Mark. If you other than that that fantasy of flight museum you was at, have you been to some other aviation museums? Well, uh, I'm I'm very close to uh, all the Smithsonian's.
0: Oh, so yeah. I've been to yeah, I've been to both of those. I went to. Um, Uh, I think it was about two years ago I went to the dullest one for the first time, the um, Udvar Hazy Center. And just you walk in and there's just a black bird in front of you. Nice. And behind that is the Enterprise. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Eventually to be, uh, Discovery was promised at the Smithsonian, and they're going to remove the Enterprise, send that to another place, and put Discovery there. Oh. So it's a really cool – I have pictures of that online, too. Maybe I'll post them as well, but – um. They're not as good, but they have all that kind of stuff. And then they have, like, Concords. They have um, the B-29 that dropped the first atomic bomb. I forget. What's the name of that one again? Nola Gay. Yeah, that's it. I knew that the other day, too. But, yeah, that's that's what we got around here that I've been to. And then I went to the one. um, There's a military one that has B-52 and the first Air Force One, and that's out in Ohio. I want to say uh what's the name of the town starts with a d dayton dayton that's it dayton ohio there's a um that was a long time ago but i've been to that one too
1: cool how about you mark you've been to a few
2: uh we have a local one here on the former mcclellan air force base um it's it's not super large it has probably 20 aircraft ranging everything from a a10, F14 to, uh, I want to say it's a DC-3 or it's a C, not a 47, but a, like a, I think they called it like a 56 or something, but it was, it's a variant there of one of the paratrooper models. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, what's kind of funny, I was talking to my instructor when we get down the line to start doing our long cross countries. One of the, uh, the f- f- closed bases that we have here is Castle Air Force Base. There's a museum on the base that is is pretty sizable, and that's we were talking about maybe taking our long cross country down there. It's about um, I want to say probably a hundred miles from here. Go down for the day, check out the museum, and then and then fly back. Oh, that'd be uh, cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: And so, nothing wrong with that. It,
2: it was funny listening to uh, and I can I, I, It's probably a. a a good thing or a bad thing, but I keep referring back to, uh, Will Hawkins and, and his journey. He made a comment that they, that was one of the runways that, that, uh, they went and visited. And he was able to, uh, take off, land, take off, land, take off, land, all on that one runway because it's something like 10 or 12,000 feet long. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a former SAC base and they had a, uh, a, a couple of squadrons to the B 52s there.
1: Okay. So.
2: But uh I want to say that's probably all uh all that I've actually visited lately. One of my dreams is to get to the Smithsonian Air and Space. Uh my wife and I were actually talking about taking the kids in, into the Washington area within the next couple of years um and to visit all of the different different things in Washington. Mm-hmm. But I was going to I was to say that one of the tangents that that, that John was talking about with uh, the Enterprise and Discovery uh, did either of you guys get a chance to see some of the live feed of the tweet up at, uh, at NASA that yeah. was going on today? Yeah. I was watching a little bit of that earlier. We got to go into the, um, the, the vehicle assembly building. Mm-hmm. And I've seen pictures of the outside. And you're like, Oh, yeah, it's a building. And I've actually seen it from probably, I don't know, five miles away <laughs> uh, a few, a couple of years ago, but you don't realize how big it was until they started showing you, you know, inside the building. And it's, you it get it's so big. It's 526 feet tall it creates its own weather systems in there if they're not careful. But uh, anyway, wow. that, I, I just thought that was really cool. You get a perspective. And one of the, uh, one of the guys that was doing it said that they haven't done a tour of the, of the, the VAB, uh, since the seventies, I think they said. So
1: that was a pretty special tour that got to go on.
2: Yeah. And I was, true. I was, I was glad they were able to video, video cast it just to share it with those that could watch it. So
1: yeah, there's guys walking around with, um, iPhones mounted to their hats and stuff. Um, yeah, that was Joel. I think his name is Glickman. Uh huh. Yeah. Joel Glick is is his Twitter name, but yeah, uh, that's who I was watching. Yeah, it was really cool. Not bad.
0: I yeah, I'm jealous. I, I didn't get picked. <laughs> I tried, man. I want to go to that. Wait, you could have been like Rick.
2: He was picked, and then I guess he couldn't go at the last minute or something. And yeah, then I saw nice. They're throwing all these surprise things at him. Well, guess where you're going to go today? And they're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So they actually the second they were at the they were outside the fence at the launch pad. Uh I can't think of his first name, but he goes by uh shotgun F fifteen E. Oh uh uh-huh. fifteen driver. Right. Um he actually put a uh pulled up uh the maps program in the iPhone and showed exactly where he was and, and in that overhead view, I didn't realize they were that close to the actual launch pad.
1: <laughs> but uh yeah, the the bus driver was talking talking to him on the on the drive back after it was kind of all over and they were driving back and he was talking about who would love to see the the space shuttle launch from right here and like I heard like one or two girls in the bus go yeah me and he didn't hear that he goes. Because everybody else says no way, he's like, "Well, it's a good thing because the sound alone would turn you to jello from here; it just destroy you from the inside out from the vibrations." <laughs> and then he's yeah. talking about, you know, how they use the water, you know, and and the water um, helps to deaden the noise of the sound because if there wasn't the uh, sound vibrations by coming back at the shuttle would destroy the aircraft itself. Wow! So one of the other reasons for the uh, water there, craziness. Also, I guess I should
0: state the uh, the reason for my going to Florida was not only to visit my girlfriend's mother, but uh, I was actually planning on trying to see the shuttle launch. But I ended up messing up the dates, and then it got pushed back, and then all kinds of stuff happened. So I was kind of disappointed I didn't actually get to see it. Bummer.
1: We'll speak um, real quickly. I wanted to just – going back to the – air museums and stuff we were talking about i've i've been to a, a couple uh, i'm in phoenix but uh south of me is uh tucson and uh the pima air museums down there it's uh pretty cool i got some pretty cool pictures of it inside there they've got an sr 71 and i don't know i must have stood and gawked at that thing for 20 minutes walking around it it's just how huge that thing is and just trying to understand the mechanics and dynamics behind it. And, you know, I, I think they use uh, 454 Chevy engines to start the engine on the thing. It's just incredible. And they've got they got one of the Air Force Ones there. It was uh, Kennedy's Air Force One. That was pretty interesting. Um, and But there's oh, hundreds of airplanes at this place, and it's just across the street from uh, the Air Force Base down there. I can't think of the name of it. Davis Mothin Air Force Base. And uh, then across the street from that is the huge boneyard, which is incredible. And there's just a gazillion mothballed airplanes all over the place down there. I'd like to go go uh, tour that at some point.
2: That, that, that's a, a trip that you definitely want to do. A friend of mine was able to go down there about a year ago, and uh, they spent an entire day just driving around looking at stuff, and um, everything that they saw that it's, that's decommissioned or cut in pieces
1: or whatever, it was just mind-blowing. Uh, yeah it, it gives you If you ever it get a chance perspective to, yeah it, you could you can you can see this place in on uh, google earth you know and it's just incredible like the amount of airplanes that's just lined up just so perfectly all over the place um where else in in california san diego i've been to the um uss midway and the aircraft carrier down there that's uh that's parked right down there in the san diego harbor it's that's pretty incredible, the amount of airplanes they got on that thing, too. Uh, and I've also been to another San Diego Air and Space Museum, and they've got they've got kind of a lot of stuff there, too. I I love how they hang these airplanes from the rafters with, with a few cables. I just <laughs> I was like, that's, that's some incredible support structure they got there that can just hang that many airplanes from a roof. I love going to do that stuff. If I can manage to talk my wife into it and drag her and the kids and around it at the day speaking of that the day we went to the pima air museum it was raining of course and so all the planes that were outside you know it it would sprinkle a little bit and then i'd run out there through the mud go look through them and start raining again i'd take some shelter underneath the wing for a while and they would just stand inside so it wasn't too much fun for them but i didn't mind it i liked it you do what you got to do for your uh, obsession absolutely <laughs> yeah so, anyways, I guess we should maybe bring it back on track a little bit. And uh, today, we were going to go over some of uh, the maneuvers that we w- went through as a private pilot. Uh, well, as as a student of being a private pilot, anyways. John, if you're ready, if you're ready, uh, you want to go first? Yeah. Well,
0: um, we talked about it at discovering initial flights last week, and uh, kind of from there, you know, you get into the maneuvers, and uh, you start looking at. I guess I don't know about you guys. But slow flight was, as far as my logbook is concerned, slow flight seems to be the uh, first thing we did after the the Four Fundamentals and just basic flying. Um, I don't know if that was the, the same thing for you guys or not.
1: Not for me. That was um, my third, well, my fourth actual in, uh, in, instructed flight. Um, so my third one after my first uh, initial one.
0: Well, I mean, not necessarily in flight numbers, just in what you did, because it was technically my third flight, too, that I started slow flight, clearing turns and just doing a takeoff. Yeah, and I mean, from there, we kind of went into stalls and then power on stalls. And then, OK, well, from there, you're doing emergency procedures and steep turns and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I guess I started slow flight back in January 13th was the first time I did it in my third lesson. And uh, I don't know, I just head out there and he's like, all right, well, you uh, seem to be able to fly straight. You can turn. You can Climb, cool. Let's uh, let's slow it
1: down. And what to say about it, man? It seems like second nature now. It's kind of yeah, weird. C- I don't know. The controls start getting a little bit mushy on you, and it seems a, l- a little different, right? Yeah, and and I'm trying to think back and into how that that
0: thought, how, i mean, not thought, how that felt the first time you did it, because uh, I I mean, I guess at this point, you know, I, I know what to expect. I know how it's going to react. I know, okay, at this point, you're starting to get. Pitch is airspeed. Power is altitude. You know, and you've got that ingrained in your head now, um, especially since we're all, you know, so have soloed or so close to soloing and all that. But um, I'm, I'm just trying to think back. I don't know if you guys can remember. Like, well,
1: how did that feel? You mean as far as like, what the, were, control, we, like what, the controllability uh, of the airplane? or
0: No, just how, how did it – what were you guys thinking about at that point? Because I'm trying to think back, and I, I just – I don't really remember like what my reaction to doing it the first time was.
1: Well, did you, did your instructor, um, mine doesn't do this. She she just, she just tells me what to do and then she has me try and do it. Um, but does your instructor like go, you know, show you the maneuver and then ask you to replicate it or anything like that?
0: Yeah, this guy did. And I guess I should, the fact that at this point I was with my first instructor that I had met. No, he would kind of go out and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I think he kind of did it. And then he's like, all right. I'll walk you through it this time. And I think he pretty much did that with all the different maneuvers.
1: Yeah, that's, um, with my instructor, she just more or less told me and just had me do it instead of instead of actually showing me. And then and then the other day, the la- one of the last, not the other day, obviously, because I haven't flown in like a month, but one of the last few flights, I was we, we were doing something, I can't even remember what it was off the top of my head now, but I asked her, I said, can you show me? And then, so I'll have an idea of what you're looking for, and then she did. And, and then I followed up, but... Previous to that, for me, it was just more like, you know, like, for example, when it came to doing steep turns, okay, here's your gauge, and here's 10 degrees, here's, here's uh 20 degrees, 30, in between here is 45 and 60, you know, or in between here is 45 degrees, over here is all the way to 60. So he goes, you know, turn the airplane to here, and i pull back and, instead of showing it to me. How about you, Mark? Any difference for you? You know, my, uh, my
2: first couple of uh, lessons, it was a... I'll show you then you show me, um but after that it was you know, okay, we're gonna go out to the practice area, and on the way out there let's uh you know do not you show me slow flight, and I would just do it, you know, and then he goes, okay, now that we're in slow flight uh if what which feels like you're just up there hanging on the prop, and he goes, okay, let's uh take a heading of you know say thirty degrees to the right, and I would you know easily do that okay great all right now let's go to a heading of such and such and head over there all right great and you just he's going through his mental checklist and all right now get us out of the slow flight and up on the power we come and get back up on the step and head out to the practice area and just kind of threw stuff at me okay let's do uh power on stall all right great that was that was great recovery okay now let's do a power off stall and so it was only just the first few lessons to where they actually, uh, either my, my primary or my, 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 current, uh, instructor would, uh, actually have to show me. Um, I've only had one maneuver that I had a tough time with, and that was, uh, holding altitude in a steep banked uh, left turn. Um, for whatever reason, I, I wasn't catching mm. the pullback on the yoke quick enough, and I would drop, you know, a hundred feet. And he goes, okay, let's go to the right and see how that works out. You know, held it completely with, you know, maybe drop 10 feet or something like that. Uh, Did he tell you why that is? Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, it's just, it's, it's just a matter of uh, catching it at the right time. And then I, when I say catching it is you roll into the bank and you, and you give it about maybe a half a second and then you're, then you're starting to pull back on the yoke. Um he says, and it's something, it's just a learned characteristic. You don't, Otherwise, you're going to climb out of it. But you got to let the plane get into the bank, kind of become stabilized, That's and and then it, it's it's a it's a roll into it, and then slowly start to pull back, and then hold on to it, you know. And maybe give a little bit of cross control so you don't over rotate, um, you know, due to P factor and everything else involved.
1: But uh, I, I, you know. speaking of that, I, actually, um, I think there's another reason why the left turn. Does that, and that is because of the torque and the P factor. And Correct. It's, it's just like when you take off and you've got that 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 torque steer. You know, off to your left. When you turn left, it's going to want to continue well, you, you to even go hard. left more.
2: And it's actually it's it's actually due to the uh, the slipstream effect and the and the P factor that's, that actually wants to pull the nose down. So that's why you want to pull back. You want to catch that at the right time. Pull back, and it's going to hold that nose up. And you're going to maintain your your uh, your altitude. Mm-hmm. So I only had to I only yeah. had to demonstrate that one probably once or try once or twice more than normal. Um, but that you know what honestly that's so far knock on wood has been the only maneuver that I've had any kind of difficulty with. Um, turns around a point, no problem. I would have um, you know beginner student, uh, you know not not keeping spacing exactly. But, you know, after doing it a couple times, you kind of get a feeling of where you need to be. I just started drawing mental mental checkpoints. I need to be at this point. And, and when I'm coming around, I need to be at that point. When I come around, I need to be at that point. And then I started hitting those points, and the circles, you know, started to come together. Or the S turns would come right together.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my uh, second instructor mentioned something about the, like, turns on the point in the ground reference maneuvers. And he's like, look, he's like, when you think about it, you know, these were made for the DPE or the um, examiner to be on the ground, looking at you doing it, you know, from the ground to you in the air, he's not gonna be able to tell that you're not doing a perfect circle in the air. It's, do you know when to bank and when not to bank? You know, do you understand what the winds are doing and are you correcting for that? You know, so I think really once you get that and you're kind of anywhere near close, you know, you'll be, you'll be fine on that one. Just, just something you told me and it, you know, it makes sense as you don't have to be exact on those either.
1: Yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, it was actually my last flight. I did uh, I did slips left and right, uh, the S turns and turns around a point. And um, out of all the maneuvers I I've done up until that point, I found I found those to be the most awkward because I am not exactly sure what she's using as a reference point versus what I'm using as a reference point for for the same thing. You know, we've we've talked about it, but I don't know the, t- the terrain out in the desert everything's just freaking brown, all right? There's no there's no <laughs> patch of grass. There was none of this smoldering uh, smoke from a chimney stack that they talk about looking for, you know, just check your wind and stuff. And then, you know, you're doing like, you're doing the S-turns, right? And, and I'm looking on, uh, I'm looking at uh, the GPS and I can see my ground speed fluctuating from like 75 miles an hour to 130 miles an hour because you're into the wind, you're out of the wind, you're into the wind, out of the wind, you know? But, um, I bring my little Bluetooth GPS, uh, logger with me every time. And, uh, later on I looked at it on Google Earth. And I've got nice little circles and I've got nice little S's all nice. over the place. So it's fun nice. to go back and go, hey, did I do it right? And it looks more, yeah, it looks more correct on Google Earth than it felt to me when I was actually in the plane.
0: Yeah, I, I did that too. Um, and I looked at my, saw that my, my patterns were not as rectangular as i thought they were which i thought was kind of funny when i look back at that but when you um do, do you like when you mentioned, you know with your instructor that you don't know if you're necessarily looking at the same reference point are you, are you calling out what you're using as a reference point
1: uh, for that yeah um well she'll mention like she's looking at a certain peak you know but there's peaks all over the place so it might take a, a couple of minutes to get on a point with what what peak what mountain you know she's looking at yeah
0: i mean like i guess here we're using um Yeah, you got your nice straight road and then you've got like all kinds of either clumps of trees or houses or, I mean, there's so much with the fields and stuff around here that we can use. I guess we have a lot. It's a lot easier to pick something and agree on it with your instructor.
1: Yeah. How far out is your practice area from your field? Um, uh, I want to say it's
0: probably about a five to 10 minute. We take off, we go directly over the Chesapeake Bay, uh, which is about, uh, the edge of the bay is about 12. 12 nautical miles from the airport. Um, Cause that's when I call my entrance into the class D airspace. And we go in a little bit more than that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so it's about, it's about 20 miles away. Um, and there's a North and a South practice area uh, on the North side of this. There's this town on a river. Um, and we kind of use that as our reference point.
1: How about you, Mark and you're in so, an uncontrolled airspace, air, you uncontrolled airspace, uncontrolled uh, airport. And you, you guys stay pretty close. Well, actually, we have uh, we also have a north and a south. the
2: The south practice area is actually over a lake. It's uh, Folsom Lake. Um, so, if you ever heard of Folsom State Prison, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's basically right there. So, we're we're practicing over the water on the lake there. That one's about uh, about a five minute flight. So, also about twenty miles. But the the one to the north, um, if you could draw a triangle, you've got uh, Auburn Municipal, which is the primary airport. Uh, Lincoln Regional, which is about a five minute flight to the west, uh, which is another one of our practice. We do a lot of pattern work there. And, but if you went directly north of Lincoln, about 20 miles, it's Beale Air Force Base. So we have their class. I'm going to mess this up, but I'm, a, I think it's class Charlie Airspace. Um, so if you within that triangle between the three, uh, runways, there's a practice area out there which we call the north practice area so if we want to do our, our engine out it's like if you're flying around and engine goes out now you're at 3,000 feet field elevation is like 115 where are you going to go and how are you going to get there and if you know how do you scrub altitude and you know and, and i've actually done a an engine a simulated engine out all the way down to the to the numbers at uh at lincoln regional which is was pretty cool um my, my instructor thought for sure that I was going to come up short, and I landed it right on the numbers. But uh, with, with that Air Force base right there, do you have a, a MOA that you're uh, in sometimes? Actually, that one doesn't. There's not a MOA right there. So they have their we'll, – we'll call it – I don't have a chart <laughs> near me, but I'll call it a, a Class Charlie Airspace. Um, their MOA – well, let, let's, let me back up. Beale Air Force Base is primarily a uh, reconnaissance base. They fly T-38s out of there. They fly the TR-4, which is a Global Hawk, mm-hmm. and they fly the uh, U-2s. Okay. Yeah. Um, all of those aircraft are climbing out pretty quick within their airspace, so we really don't have to deal with them too often. It is pretty cool when you're out in the practice area and you look over and there's a U-2 about uh, you know three or four miles away. Yeah. Uh, but they know we're at the practice awesome. area.
1: Mm-hmm. I had to see that.
2: It, I've got a couple of pictures that I've like stop. We got to stop training. I got to take a picture of this. And I reach back and I grab my phone. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> He's like, "All right, all right, it's a new thing for you, but let's yeah. get over that pretty soon, <laughs> yeah,
1: but he you're goes like, well, your you're you're private the
2: plane with me <laughs> <laughs> exactly he goes when you're uh when you have your private, you can come out here and take pictures of them all day long at altitude. I don't care, but just let's 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 finish No, but uh their moa the moa for them when they actually go out with a 38 and uh practice whatever whatever they're gonna do is actually east of the base, and it is." Uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's uh, it's actually kind of a cool name, and it's it's uh, three three separate moas, but they're all together. So we don't actually have to deal with them too much. The one thing that we do have to be aware of, though, the thirty when they need just need to get recurrency on uh, and doing touch and goes. We've got Beale there, directly south of Sacramento is Mather Air Force Base or Mather uh, Mather Air Park. Now it used to be a B fifty two wing. It had three wings. A B 52s. So there's a 10,000 foot runway. So what they'll do, uh, they'll take off from Beale, they'll fly across, basically right over my house, to be, uh, to be honest. And then uh, they'll go do touch and goes out of Mather and fly back to Beale, do touch and goes, fly back to Mather, you know, and so on and so forth. But uh, we just got to kind of be aware of them shooting across. But uh, well, Otherwise, reason, that's the yeah, no traffic. You have
1: yeah. Uh, the reason I ask is typically right after. We take off and head towards the practice area we've got Luke Air Force Base uh, just off to the uh, southwest of us, just a tad so we're, we're we're in their MOA uh, for a little while and as soon as after we take off and and head that direction, we try and contact them on the radio um, as of yet uh, we we've never had they've never been uh, online at that time, but then I fly on Sunday, so uh, maybe that's why I, I'm never reaching them is because they don't fly on the weekends. Well, at least Sundays. Um, but they, it's, it's Luke Air, Air Force Base. It's the um, F-16 training center. Uh, oh, yeah. Until they switch it out, apparently, I think we're getting the F-35s next. And that'll be a few years, I imagine. Yeah, but
2: You're going to have 16s for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> if Congress has the <laughs> way. Yeah. It'll be cool. Although, once there's nothing better than the rumble of a of a Block 50 or a 55 uh, F-16 rolling by, though.
1: Yeah. I, they... um. You know, I, they come by the house all the time. You know, I, on their way back into uh, Luke Air Force Base from from their from their practice area, and um, you know, they're usually coming in at you know three at a time or something. So it's pretty cool. You can hear them at, at night. It's really cool when you can see the uh, see the flame from their uh, from their engines. But and then you know, what's weird is that you can hear uh, them. Um, you hear this like high pitched noise, and it, and I, and that's I like, no, no, I I I can hear them uh put their flaps down while they're in flight. You can hear this high pitch like hydraulic. Just it's a quick noise. And I'm like you can actually hear them do one notch of flaps. So that
2: might be their speed brakes. Could be
1: that too. Yeah. they're like
2: they're clamshells right back, in the back back by the yoke matter.
1: Yeah. So, Interesting. So for for me um in my first few flights, uh I did, you know, regular climbing and descending. Turns, you know, working on altitude and headings, and then uh, th- on my second flight we did uh, 30 degree steep turns and uh, just worked on some pilotage. And then the next lesson we did 45 degree steep turns and like simulated engine outs and again back to climbing and descending uh, and more turns. And um, I like the I like the steep turns, the 30 and the 45 degree st- steep turns and The first time I did it, I made the perfect circle and I came back around on heading on altitude and then a little jolt of the airplane, a little bump, you know. um, And I was just thinking, well, it's hot out or whatever. And uh, my instructor, she's like, that's when you know you've done it right. And I'm like, done what right? She goes, you just flew through your own wake turbulence. You hit it perfect. And I was like, oh, cool, you know. And uh, from then on. That's what I had to do in my mind. I had to hit that every time, and I got pretty good at it. Like three out of four times, I'd I'd hit that wake turbulence, and I'd feel the little jolt of the airplane, you know, a little bump. And uh, so that that was a lot of fun. And uh, really, yeah,
0: I've never noticed or felt that. Or oh, it's because you suck. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I'm sitting here thinking. Well,
1: I mean, is that a, a product of the fact that I'm in a high wing airplane, or? Yeah, you still create wake turbulence, and it, as long as and you're the, on on the same altitude and and finish the circle, you should hit it. And I mean, I should hit it more than
0: you should because it's a high wing, and that wake turbulence tends to descend. So I don't know. That just I've never felt that or noticed it, or it's just I've never even knew that would
1: mm. happen. Wonder if it has anything to do with the speed of the turn. Maybe I can. Maybe I'm completing my turns faster than you. Maybe I don't know.
0: Well, in a in a in a forty-five, you will be. Going faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we do ours at the forty-five, but I don't know. That just seemed strange
1: to me. I just never heard of that. Oh, interesting. You have to check with your CFI on that. Yeah, I'll have to ask him next time I go. See if that has anything to do with uh, assessments versus the low wings or whatever. Um, and then on my on my fifth flight, I took my daughters with me. Oh, I got to take my uh, my two girls. I've got two daughters. One's uh, fifteen, going to be sixteen, December first. And so I got a driver that's coming up pretty soon. And my other one's 13. And my 16-year-old, you know, me and her love roller coasters. You know, we'll go to a, if we go to um, like a Magic Mountain or something like that, me and her are off doing our thing. And my daughter and my wife are off doing their thing because we'll just hit up all the fast roller coasters. So I knew she was going to be in for it and wasn't going to be afraid in any way. But my youngest one, I was like, you know, she was worried a little bit before. Do you think I'm going to get sick? Because she'll get car sick or whatever. But, uh, you know, to my surprise, they just had a ball. Uh, we took off. And you know it what, you know, we didn't do a lot of, you know, maneuvers for me. Basically, it was more of a scenic flight and to see how they would like it. Um, we flew over the house and they got to see the house from the air. And, and so that was kind of cool. And then we flew out over uh, Lake Pleasant and, uh, did some turns over there. And then I said, hey, let's see if they can handle steep turns. So I did a 30-degree steep turn one way, and then I did a 45-degree steep turn the other way. Now with that 45, you know, you're pulling a little bit of G there. And uh, with them in the back seat, you know, they, it, it, it kind of like pinned their head down a little bit because, you know, they put the little weight on them and stuff. Uh, but to my surprise, like I said, no one got sick, and they said that was their favorite part of the flight. <laughs> So. Sounds better than your first flight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my first flight of doing a similar steep turn, yeah, it didn't turn out so well even with yeah. me at the controls, yeah. I hope hopefully I'm over that. And then I didn't get into slow flight until my fourth flight. I did slow flight and then again on my sixth flight I did that and we did the power on and power off stalls. And speaking of that, and Mark, uh it'll be different for for us. Than John, because well, maybe I don't know, I'll, I'll ask the question with with my power off stalls or at least at idle or whatever, you know. Um, I'm waiting for this nose to drop like a rock. Um, yeah, I've got the stall horn going. I mean, it felt like for 30 seconds I've got this thing blaring at me and nothing's happening, right?
2: Yeah, it, it just it, it, in ours in the Archer, it's kind of a you're holding it, you're holding it, you're holding it, you get a little bit of a buffet, and it just kind of goes all right, it bushes over a little bit. I've actually done stalls in uh in one seventy twos and it's a lot more pronounced and it actually kinda if you like the top of the roller coaster where it falls over the top, right. Th- that that that's closer to a highway or the one seventy twos that I flow.
1: Yeah. So
0: yeah, you're uh um,
1: you're doing right, John?
0: Yeah, and the way what you just described sounds more like a power on stall to me, where you, you never quite stall it. It's kinda like just mushes up there. But with the power off stall, I mean you you get it in slow flight. And then put it in descent, pull out the throttle, push it up, man, and is I mean it takes a little while, but when you get it, I mean, you know you stalled because that that nose just drops, and at that point it's um, you don't necessarily have to in that one push it over, it's more release the back pressure and then put more back pressure in because you need to keep it on the horizon, yeah, um you know, so you don't descend It's definitely a lot more pronounced than
2: the
1: in the one seventy twos yeah, for me, it was just um. She was like, "Okay, um, push the yoke forward now, and and uh, and after you got it forward, and we're facing down a little bit, just give it a little bit of throttle." I don't think I lost fifty feet. Yeah, uh, and I was kept. I I kept going. Really? That's and it? I asked her. I'm like, after we got down, I said, "I said, are uh, really that's that's what's considered a, a power off stall?" I said, "I'm waiting for this thing to drop out of the sky, and and it, it did nothing." <laughs> and she goes, "That that's the way it is, basically, in in the low wing planes." Or at least in the Archer, you know. I mean, and
0: I will say too, you know, I don't really lose any altitude anymore in, in the stalls. I mean, the last time I did them, I maybe lost 50 feet too. Um, I mean, even with the nose dropping, you don't lose the altitude you're expecting to, mm-hmm. um, which is a little weird.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess um, maybe my perception of what it was going to be, obviously, and, and the way it really turned out to be was completely two different things. Yeah. Now, um, I guess the power
0: off stall is a lot less announced in this um
1: mm-hmm.
0: but did you have trouble keeping your heading when you guys were doing the power off stalls
1: no i don't i don't remember an issue okay just wondering
0: because i never really did either with that i was just wondering if it may be different with uh, the low wings or not Our power on on the other hand i don't know yeah, that i was even focused keys, on the i've had a tremendous issue
1: hmm.
0: well i i mean maybe it's because i mean i would say i have a lot more hours than you guys and i've done the maneuvers probably more times than you guys in the sense of like have you guys just gone over them once and that's pretty much it
1: uh, no no i'd say most of the stuff two or three times yeah me too well not everything two or three times but you know the the steep turns we went over and over that went went through that like three times
0: i don't necessarily mean in in a single lesson i mean more like
1: no no i meant the did, lesson to the next okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I mean I know like the first couple of lessons when you're doing the maneuvers you kind of redo all of them beforehand. But when I came back to the the, the next flight school, I kind of felt like everyone was going out and I was doing all of them in a lesson again. Um, so it's gotten to the point now where I'm actually concentrating on headings and how much altitude I've lost and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, you so I, I was just curious about the, that.
1: You don't want to get corrected by your instructor anymore about head. You know. Five or ten degrees on your heading, or busting the hundred, yeah. the hundred, uh, the hundred foot margin on on your altitude. Yeah, and it's um, it's been
0: interesting because I've been jumping from a couple different instructors with the different checkpoints, and now being in even another instructor. Um, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff there. The members of the In the Pattern podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do
2: not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with the instructors they learn from, or the flight schools they attend. Remember, these guys are student pilots, so anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on an aircraft operation is obviously from the perspective of student pilot. You should always consider your own situation, consult your instructor, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Cleared for the option.
1: On my my seventh lesson, I have a note here. Aborted takeoff, and uh, there was an airplane crash just at the... West, the west end of the runway. Um, so it was like six o'clock in the morning. where's taxi- that the Cirrus? Yeah. Yeah, we're taxiing down the, uh, the taxiway there. And all of a sudden we, we see just a ball of fire and a big cloud of, mus- you know, mushroom cloud of smoke just bellowing up and stuff. And, and I called the tower and I said, hey, tower, I don't, I don't know if you see it yet because they just got on duty at six o'clock is when they start. I said, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, there's a huge you know ball of fire and smoke just before the runway's. Uh, there's a, you know, an industrial area, um, right before, right, right next to the airport. seems like all airports have these around there. I don't know. And they said, yeah, we just, you know, a Cirrus just crashed and it was like, oh crap. So, um, at, they didn't say anything to us and we're like going, they ain't gonna let us fly, you know, cause the wind is a uh, slight crosswind. So now there's, now there's smoke drifting over cross, uh, across both runways at this point. And sure enough, they get back on the line and tell us that, uh. They've uh, shut down both runways and go ahead and turn around and head back to Cutter. Uh, and so we do that. And on the way back, they get back on and they said, For Mike Alpha, if you'd like to uh, continue, we're going to go ahead and open back up seven right." And um, so we thought for a minute. I'm like, "Well, I've already got the plane running. You know, I'm 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 paying for time as as we're talk- as we're sitting here. So yeah, okay, let's go." And at the and at this point, this was going to be my first day of touch and goes. Something I had been looking forward to for a long time. I don't know about you guys, but. I wanted to do touch and goes as soon as as soon as I could. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was right there with you. Yeah. I was like I was tired. Yeah, me too. I was tired of, of the navigation or not the navigation, but the you know, all the maneuvers that we went over. Maybe that's that's why we were talking about doing them more than once, John. You're like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. I know I know steep turns, I know how to turn to a heading, I know how to climb, I know how to, you know, let's let's move on to something fun.
2: Yeah, that's good to know that, but let's move on to real pilot stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Which, which we're all going to spend a been. ton of time in the pattern. Yeah. So I get back over to uh, to my taxiway I, I call the tower and I, I said, uh, I told them that, you know, for my calf, i ready to go for touch and go, seven right. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, it's okay if you leave, but you can't stay in the pattern. And I am and I was thinking, damn it, why didn't they tell me this? Now, <laughs> I've wasted more time, you know, putting around in this airplane. And so they go, okay, go ahead and... Taxi back to Cutter because I wasn't going to, we were just going to do touch and goes at that point. We didn't have time to go out to the practice area and back and stuff because my practice area, I mean, it's, it's uh, between a 10 and 15 minute flight. Uh, so it takes a little while to get out there. I mean, if Phoenix, you know, I'm in Phoenix. It's heavily populated. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. There's no end to it, it seems like.
2: So do you have to go out to the practice area every time you you are going to maneuver?
1: Uh, unless we have plans to go to another airport. But, you know, if we're going to go practice any of the, you know, typical maneuvers we were just talking about, yeah, we got to go out there. So
0: that's even more incentive to solo and get it over with so you can move on to navigation.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that was back on August 4th. And then uh, August 8th was my first day of touch and goes and I got six of them down. So that was cool. And then after that it was t- touch and goes and then some more touch and goes. <laughs> and then finally after that was my my first uh first trip to another airport. We uh we flew from uh, Deer Valley over to Glendale and did a full stop taxi back. Uh, oh, yeah,
2: that that's what, that's where you had audio on uh, liveatc.net. Uh?
1: No, no. That was um uh when I went to Chandler and we had to cross oh. uh cross uh Phoenix. Yeah. Gotcha. Phoenix Sky Harbor. So yeah,
0: that was I've uh, never actually Never went. I I've never actually flown to another airport um, as a lesson. Uh, I mean, the only time I've been to another airport is when I switched airports for my instruction. Um, I haven't actually gotten the the opportunity to do that. Kind of jealous of both of you right now.
1: Bummer. <laughs> yeah, we we did uh, Deer Valley to Glendale that day, and then the next flight was Deer Valley to Goodyear. Goodyear's cool because um, they have all kinds of uh, airplanes there that they that they. Um, that this company restores, and I mean everything from a <clears throat> a business jet to 747s, just sitting there waiting to get refurbished. Um, so it's it's really interesting. I can't imagine them landing a 747 on this runway. Y- you wouldn't believe it. You have to go I'll look it up. It just seems so tiny. How long is it? It's I don't know. Let's let's see. Uh, eight
0: K G I mean, when you think about it, if it's empty, I mean that
1: helps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just well, there's there's a, there's a displaced threshold, and I imagine they're landing on the very tip of it because they're not landing after the hash marks, I don't think, because they're just, you know, a 747 takes a little ways to take off and land.
0: Well, what I was amazed at, like even the A380 um, at Oshkosh, they have a, I think it's a 10,000-foot runway, and um, they did not use, I mean, they used maybe, maybe half of it to take off.
1: Dimensions 8500 by 150? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That seems longer than uh, what I thought it was. Eighty-five hundred. I wonder what. I wonder what uh, Deer Valley is. What?
0: See, I don't. I don't think you'll be able to um, do it at gross on a seven forty-seven, but empty should be. Uh...
1: You know what? It must be because it's wider that it looks shorter to me. Because Deer Valley's is uh, seven right eighty-one hundred and ninety-seven. It sure doesn't feel very long. Mm. But uh, yeah. So that was flying over to Goodyear, and again, full stop taxi back, and and then we just do touch and goes in the pattern. And what's weird when we did Glendale the the, the previous lesson, these air, every airport you know is, has their quirks. You know over there when you're a beam the tower, you have to um, announce your your uh, intentions. Whereas everywhere else I go, they just about the time you're a beam the tower, they say you know four Mike Alpha cleared for the option. You know and instead I have to say Glendale Tower Archer three five four Mike Alpha a beam the tower. And and then then they they let me know that I'm cleared for the option. Then so that's their little quirk that they need. Well, I think that that depends too on the on the because like at my
0: airport when you're um uh, basically when you're midfield either they're they're coming up on it and they tell you oh you're cleared for the option or do this or I'll announce that I'm midfield and then they'll either tell me to do something like that. I, I get a mixture of both all the time.
1: And Mark just tells them what the hell's going on. Well, I had oh. to do that too. <laughs> Because there's no, there's no tower. He tells everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Work. Just make my calls. That's Here, it. Here's where I'm at. Here's it's, what I plan to do. Watch out. Yeah. See,
0: honestly, I don't miss that anymore. Um, I thought being at a tower would kind of suck, but then only having to call a downwind and getting cleared for the option is nice because I can concentrate on landing instead of saying, oh, uh, inbound 45, downwind. Mm-hmm. I'm fine.
2: You, know, you know, the thing for me, though, is, is you'll get uh, random radio calls so and so I'm I'm here and you're looking for them you don't see them uh, and that's the one downside about uh, about the uncontrolled fields is that you know we I get into a long discussion with my instructor about this what what I'm being taught as the 45 into into these two airports some of these guys are doing crosswind entries and they're thinking they're 45 some of them are you know a beam the uh, the far end of the runway um it's it's yeah they say that and they say they're 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 5 miles out and they're really
1: like two you're so at, you're at the mercy of uh, their piloting knowledge huh? exactly i mean yeah, you know it's funny I mean, is that
2: even the, our our gps or or uh, dme will tell you it's we're 4 miles and and there's actually a landmark that they teach everybody to use it's like the top of this hill and it's really nothing. It's a small foothill, but it's always really like this time of year, it's always very brown or, or dirt basically. And they say, if you line up on that dirt patch and aim for the middle of the runway, that's the 45. And you look at it and you are, you're 45 degrees off at it. And it, you know, the DME tells you you're five miles. He goes, now we're five miles on the 45, you know, that guy just called and he was three miles that way. and, (laughs) you know, he's not even close. Hmm. So it, it it it's scary. When, when, when I did some, my flying, uh, this past, this past Friday, I had somebody make a radio call and, uh, I had no idea where they were. And, and so when I was in the downwind, uh, I had a couple of seconds and i I made a call and I said, I don't have traffic in sight. Oh, well we're over here and we're going to go south so we can enter on the 45. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for letting me know. Yeah. So, now, so
0: I have a question on, um, do you have a, a shared frequency with other airports at your airport? Do
2: I? Yes. It's it's yeah. weird to actually. It's weird to hear on the on the. It's basically Unicom or CTAF. Yeah. Uh, um, it's the nearby airports. Um, like like uh, Auburn Municipal has its frequency. Lincoln Regional, which is probably I don't know ten miles away, is on its own frequency. But there's other airports, and and what's it's it's odd to be in the pattern. Hear somebody make a call and then and then realize that, you know, I can hear as far away as Santa Rosa, which is, I don't know, 100 miles to the west or, you know, a nut tree, which is near Travis Air Force Base to the west. And it's so it's like you have to stop and listen. Wait, wait what airport did he talk about? Oh, you're not mine. OK, it's good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the the original airport I started flying at. um, yeah, you know, it was an uncontrolled field, and, and we shared with three other airports. So, you, you know, the first thing that my instructor ingrained in my head was, okay, well, you say, you know, I was at freeway airport, and they're like, okay, well, you say freeway traffic first. State you're at this airport, you know, I'm talking to your traffic. State your call, and then end it with freeway so that no matter what, people know what the hell airport you're talking about.
1: Right. Yeah, just in case they got on the line on, on the frequency after you've already been halfway through your spiel. Yeah, they understand 'Cause there's understand. a bunch
0: of times you'd hear somebody, oh, I'm base, and then you're like, wait, are they base? And then you hear Montgomery. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm on base too. That's not good.
1: So I've yet to fly into an uncontrolled uh airfield uh to, I you know, there's several around. We just haven't been to one yet. I'm sure that's gonna be coming here pretty soon. So far I've been to Glendale Goodyear and then over to over to uh, to Chandler and so um, uh, after, after she solos me, she says I can go to any one of those and practice, uh, doing touch and goes over there or just, you know, flying to them or whatever for practice. So that'll be cool.
2: Cool. What are there, what other stuff you've worked on? Um, are, are you doing a lot of, are you doing a lot of your pattern work right now?
1: Yeah. The, the last, uh, the last thing we did actually was, uh, slips and the turns around a point and then, and then, uh, the S turns, you know, and then my next, my next lesson is supposed to be just you know pattern work and you know keep it consistent and then I'll I'll solo you the next time so yeah just, I was
2: going to say if, if you're working on slips and and just pattern stuff you're you're
1: so close yeah I'm just chomping at the bit for it so I'll keep my fingers crossed so I'm going to text her tomorrow and find out if uh, we're good to go with the airplane so I really hope so and speaking of that as we kind of wrap things up here mark has news to tell us
2: Yeah. On, uh, what was it? Friday, the 29th of October, I, uh, I successfully soloed was a huge milestone for me as it is for every student pilot. But, uh, I have to admit, like, like I started to say in the beginning of the podcast here, I was, I was, uh, endorsed basically two weeks before I got to do this. I'm out of town for a week. So I get to think about it out of town. And then I come back and I'm working and thinking about it. And then the day of I'm watching the weather and it's holding off and it's holding off. There's this huge weather, uh, front. It's like this massive rainstorm that's going from the Pacific through the San Francisco Bay area and to the northwest of, of the Sacramento Valley. And it's staying there and it's not moving in. And I'm looking at the, uh, all the weather reports. I pull up the, uh, the ADIS, uh, for, for my airport, Auburn Municipal, and it says, crystal clear 10 statute miles you know i'm like oh my gosh it, it's actually going to hold off and my my appointment's not till three in the afternoon i'm thinking Oh, i'm gonna get up there and it's just going to be downpouring <laughs> and uh i leave work about uh about one o'clock go home get changed uh, uh my brother-in-law uh jumps in the truck with me and he's like all right let's go he goes i want to totally support you for this because this is cool stuff and so we head up there, and uh, in the meantime, uh, I send a text message to a good friend of mine, Keith Roberts, who uh, owns a Cirrus SR20 down at Lincoln Regional, and uh, he goes, "I'm going to see if I can make it up there." And uh, as we're in the uh, parking lot up at Auburn, here I, I hear a radio call, "497 Papa Golf," uh, you know, in the downwind, and I'm like looking up, and there he is in the Cirrus. So he actually jumped in the Cirrus and flew up. Uh, to come watch me. So that was pretty cool. But anyway, we, uh, the lesson basically consisted of, we, we talked about some stuff. Uh, I turned in my written, uh, my pre-solo written, uh, and while I was out pre-flighting, he was grading that and went through that pretty, pretty flawlessly. And, uh, so we, my instructor and I, uh, Greg jumped in the plane and, uh, did everything that we normally do and got up in the pattern and did, uh, did a couple of nerve softening patterns. We'll just say that. <laughs> he just let me, re- he's like, breathe, relax. It's not a big deal. You know, get it out of your system now. So I had, my first one was, was a, a very good landing. Uh, second one was a little bit flat and he goes, okay, we're not going to end. I'm not going to get out on a flat landing. So he goes, go around one more time. So I bring it back around and uh, put it right down where it's supposed to be on the mains and, Held it off, held it off, held it off, and he's like, "All right, taxi back, get let me out of here." And I, I he goes, "I've had enough." <laughs> uh, so we taxi back, and I get back in front of the school, and uh, he jumps out, shuts the door, and as soon as the door goes, I mean, you you know, Chris, with the the with the archer, it's just like this clamshell clunk. Yeah, they snap. Don't. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'm sitting there going, the engine's still running, and I'm holding the brakes, and I'm like, I'm looking around going. Oh crap, it's going to happen. <laughs> so I'm a, little you know. bit nervous. I'm a little bit nervous and I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm really doing this by myself. Then I'm like, okay. As soon as I pushed the button and I made my, uh, my uh, ground call to let everybody know that I was taxiing from this point down to the two five end of the runway, it became business. All of the emotion, all of the, the fear that I had or concerns was gone. And I, I, I kind of reflected on John said the same thing when he, when he did his, it was, it became business. And I was running through my checklists and I was, and I was performing my job and I didn't have time to worry about, um, uh, nerves and I would taxi down. And as I'm taxiing down, like I've done, you know, several times, uh, I started thinking about, it. I'm like, wow, it's going to happen. This is kind of cool. It's going to happen. And I got down, did my, uh, did my run up, went through my checklist, and as long as I kept it business professional, um, it all went good. Took off, I got out on the runway, uh, up came the throttle, lights, camera, action, everything in the green, got it to 60 knots, pulled it back, and it jumped off the ground. I, I, was, <laughs> I was 200 pounds lighter in that plane, and he, he, I'm like, wow, it, it is exactly like everybody's told me. It jumped right off the ground made my noise abatement turn, came back
1: around, and I'm in the pattern. I'm like, holy crap, this is cool, you know? Yeah. I was going to say you're less a body and whatever fuel you've used at that point too, so. Exactly. Yeah, it's a big you know, difference, huh? It was, uh, I I did 0. .4 with him that day,
2: and then it was 0. .5 for me. Um, only difference being 0. .4, uh, we were just doing touch and goes it was .5. Um, I had to do full stops. So uh, the first one came in, and it was... I did it textbook and it looked great. I've got actually have my friend Keith took a bunch of pictures um, and I actually can see where I'm, I'm touching down on the mains, nose high and, uh, you know, bring it back in, taxi back, uh, go through all my checklists again. And, uh, you know, that was the key for me. Keep it a business or keep it something that I have to do that way. I can't think about. Holy crap. I'm in this plane by myself. Somebody actually trusts me to do this. <laughs> I don't think so, you know, but, uh, and didn't think about anything else. You know, it's like, okay, let's just focus on the task. And so my second one, my second landing was a little bit flat. Uh, the one thing about this, this airport, uh, it, it's a foothills airport. It's a 1500 foot elevation. Um, at the two five end, they're one, one side of the runway, just off to one side, the south side of the runway is kind of a... uh, a knoll or a hill and there's been several accidents in the past where people have uh, at night or in dusk have tried to cut that turn to come into final and have actually hit that hill so that was Mm. always at the back of my mind going stay away from the hill stay away from the hill and then at the end of the runway the approach end um actually has a about a six degree slope on it at it which really kind of messes with your with your sight picture so i had to i had to adjust for that. And then below that is a valley. So there's a lot of air turbulence. Um, I was very fortunate that the weather had held off. It was just kind of gray skies. There was some virga, which I hit in the pattern, but it was not a big deal. I just kind of dealt with it and, and flew around. And I was fortunate that day that the wind stayed calm. Um, I've done some landings there where you get down around that valley, you have a stabilized approach and it starts banging you around. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is typical at that airport and other foothills airports in this area. So the second one, I, I, I kind of expected to get a little bit of an updraft. So I was just holding it, holding it, holding. I was kind of on the green. I mean, I was on the lights, had the, the, uh, the pappies and, but I was getting a little bit low and I'm like, all right, where's my updraft. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. All right. So I just bumped the throttle a little bit, corrected, came right back down, but I landed flat and, uh, you know, if they were holding up scorecards, that would have been like a, a five or a six. <laughs> I came back around and taxied off, and my instructor, Greg, jumps on. He's like, you know, that one was pretty flat. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was flat. I He goes, but great correction, you know, full confidence in me. And I said, I knew what I was trying to do. It's just that it didn't work out the way that I wanted. <laughs> um, But what was funny is I'm doing my my after landing checklist. I have my hand on the flap handle to pull the flaps up and he started talking to me and I took my hand off the flap, the, the, you know, the flap handle. And I'm like, so we have this conversation as I'm still taxiing back up to the two five end of the runway. And, uh, he doesn't say anything. And he, you know, he's like, you know, and I get down to the very end and I'm like sitting there and I, cause I would pause and then run through my checklist again. And as I'm going through my, my pre takeoff, it tells you what your flap position is, and for the Archer, flaps up, takeoff. I'm just about to do that. There, all like three different people jump on the radio at the same time. Mark, put your flaps up. I'm like, nice come on. <laughs> I would have caught it, <laughs> but uh, anyway, got it all, got it all configured the way it was supposed to go. Jumped back uh, on the runway, took off. Um, this this one of all was probably the coolest because as I as I got to turn into the downwind. This is when that one guy uh made the radio call and I had no idea where he was. So this is probably the first time I've actually jumped on the radio myself and made a, I made a radio call to somebody else to find out what they were doing. And it was funny. It was like, all of a sudden, I'm a pilot actually trying to get a situational awareness going. And I was like, wow, that was kind of cool. I've never done that. And then I had about a five second window it seemed longer than that, but in reality it's five seconds. I actually sat back in the seat and I put my arm over the other seat, the empty seat. I was like, I just took a second. I looked around in the pattern. I'm like, this is really cool. And then I was like, Oh, back to business, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, got it all set up for landing and, uh, had a perfect, uh perfect landing in, in my book, uh, uh, on the third one taxi back and, uh, into the into back in front of the school and shut down and you know they, everybody was all ecstatic. All my friends came up and a lot of handshaking and but it was a very cool experience. I was probably on a on an emotional high for about a good solid day,
1: maybe two days. Nice. Someone running after you with a pair of scissors. You
2: know what? That the one of the co owners of the school was there and he actually asked my instructor, "You get pictures? Did you cut his shirt tails?" And he's like, "No." Aww. And, And he goes, and he goes, you know, some of our instructors here, and this is after later, he goes, some of our instructors just don't go the old school route. He goes, he goes, I used to keep all the shirt tails, you know, and hang them in the office. And then somebody said they didn't like it because it was distracting. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? You're a co-owner. I would have them all over the hanger. I said, that's just a, a, you know, a sign of honor for me if I was a CFI, you know, especially as long as, as as Mike, Mike Duncan, uh, has been flying. Uh, I, I would definitely have that as like the Wall of Honor. These are all the people that I help fulfill a dream with. Mm-hmm. And, but uh unfortunately, I wasn't thinking about it, I, and I was wearing a brand new shirt that I had just gotten Hawaii <laughs> shirt. I didn't wear a, a shirt with tails on it. Otherwise, I'd have said, Mike, you know, cut my shirt tails for me, please. I, I, it'd be an honor. But uh, I may, when I go back up Friday, I may just do that, just to you know, have that in my. I don't know, logbook, I guess you want to say, but uh as part of the tradition of, of becoming a, a a solo pilot. Yeah. So sure.
0: Yeah, I, I bought a frame for mine and it's gonna uh it's hung behind me right now actually. Cool. In my office. That's really cool.
2: So you know what? I may have to do something like that. I don't know. That's I a I saw the picture of yours and I think it's really cool. Um so I don't know if I don't know how it's gonna look or how it'll finish, but uh if if I do it, um
1: I'll definitely take some pictures of it and get it uh, get it posted up on the website. So, uh, Mark, your runways are seven and two five, or what?
2: Uh, we have seven and two five up at Auburn, at that's the fifteen hundred foot elevation. And then at Lincoln uh, Regional, it
1: is one five three three. Seven and two five is what I got here in, here at Deer Valley, also. Do you? Mm-hmm. We always it always seems like in the morning we're taking off at uh, at seven, and then. As the wind change, as the winds change, you know we're usually coming back at, at 2.5 if you're later in the day.
2: I know that uh, I know that up at Auburn, in, unless you've got some serious crosswinds, the uh, the prevailing uh, traffic is left traffic on one f- on on uh, two five. However, the the uh, the seven under the runway is uh, the GPS approach. So. If the pattern's clear or if it's available, you you'll have um know, bigger aircraft or you know, like the Cirrus has got it and he can do a GPS approach and um sometimes they'll sneak in that way. Oh, okay. And we have the same thing down at uh down at Lincoln. I, I don't know if this ever ever took place, but um it was within the last ten years a lot of, of Hollywood moguls uh would actually buy property around Folsom Lake or or farther out. There's a there's a Housing development that's it's all multi million dollar homes, but uh, out in the Lincoln area, there's a lot of property that's for sale. And there it was rumored that uh, John Travolta was going to build a big estate out there. Um, and and we all know, you know, he flies anything from his, you know, he's got a pretty good collection of his own private aircraft, but it was rumored that. The ILS and was update, upgraded to a GPS because he wanted to fly his aircraft into, into Lincoln to the new property. Um, but, but uh, I know that it's been up, upgraded. We actually had, um, the DEA actually had one of its, uh, I want to say a Bombardier parked at the airport for, for a while. So we had government aircraft coming in, hmm. but I think it was, uh, the, and before the, uh, the housing development took a took a dive. There was there was rumored to be more people
0: with money that wanted to use that facility. So.
1: Interesting. Hmm.
0: Well, I guess we've been going on for a while, so uh, I guess we'll kind of wrap it up here. Um, do you guys have any shout-outs? Gonna... Uh,
2: yeah, I actually like, for my shout-outs, I'd like to thank my family to start off with for being very supportive of me. Um, several names on Twitter, which if I try to mention any of you and then I'll, I'll miss one, I don't want to uh, upset anybody, but I'll just say, Uh, all of the followers on Twitter that uh, gave me all the support and uh, the congratulations. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for following me. Thanks for following the three of us on this podcast and that'll pretty much do it for me.
1: All right. I've got a few shout outs too. First, I'd like to uh, give a shout out to uh, Jackie, my instructor. Um, I'd love to fly again. Please call me. I'm just joking. Um, Hopefully we'll get to see each other this Sunday and go fly again. A uh, couple other uh, quick shout-outs uh, to some people on uh, on Twitter that uh, I really appreciate, like uh, Chris Muncie, another guy uh, by that goes by a uh, very Jr. and Lipo Pilot. Thanks for the ret- retweets and the support, and uh, I appreciate you guys looking out for me and 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 helping our uh, helping our cause. I guess. Anyway, yeah, I'd like to make a shout out to um,
0: my new instructor. Uh, my previous instructor, Tony, who I was talking about last week, who didn't make it. Um, he actually ended up. I guess moving on to some other opportunities. Um, So the instructor that actually sold me last week, um, CFI Usman, uh, I'm actually going to be continuing to fly with him. So um, I'd like to do a shout out to him because he's going to be my new instructor. Hopefully this will be the last instructor change for me because, yeah, it'd be nice. (laughs)
1: Keep it
0: consistent. Yeah, yeah, just to be a little consistent. Uh, I guess it's been nice, you know. But anyway, that's my shout out. So you can find the In the Pattern Podcast. Our website is in podcast.com. We also have a page on my transponder. It should be listed under In the Pattern. Um, you can also find us at iTunes if you search for In the Pattern or In the Pattern Podcast. You can reach all of us on the In the Pattern Podcast by email through podcast at inthepatternpodcast.com or on Twitter as In the Pattern. You can reach me at John at inthepatternpodcast.com, on Twitter as Pilot Conway, and also on my transponder as Pilot Conway.
1: Chris. Yeah, you can uh, find me at chris at inthepatternpodcast dot as well. On Twitter at c h uh, o l u b a z. That's c h o l u b a z. And uh, my transponder is also c h o l u b a z. And Mark. Yeah,
2: you can find me at mark at inthepatternpodcast dot Student pilot Mark on Twitter and M Lacoste on my transponder. Give us
0: a shout. Cool. And lastly, uh, just because we can and because Google is awesome, you can also call us if you'd like. Leave a voicemail. Uh, I'm sure we could probably fit it in uh, playing back in the show or something like that uh, at 707-PCAST-01. That's 707 papa Charlie alpha Sierra tango one uh, And with that, I see that about wraps up this episode of the In the Pattern podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. And uh, remember, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option.
2: And other great shows at the Aviation Podcast Network.
1: The Voices in Your head.com.
0: All of us consciously, ums and ums, but um, why we'll think about it? Well, my oldest daughter uh, ripped me for
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you almost just need an um filter. <laughs>
1: Just, just
2: let it auto auto pick them out.
1: <laughs> An inline automatic um filter. That's awesome.
2: Exactly.
1: This is Chris, and again with me, I've got uh, Mark and. Uh, uh, take four. <laughs> Number four. I I'll go wake my family up. I'm Chris, and along with me, of course, is. Gosh, I have. I kept wanting to say your name was Paul. And st- <laughs> Paul and Steve. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> no. Steve, just making up names. Oh. <laughs> Great. And um, so, what's been going on? On the
2: <laughs> maybe we should drink more.
1: Oh man, <laughs> chose a lousy week to start. Stop sniffing glue. <laughs> Great quote. <boat. laughs> Do you realize how long the blooper reel is going to be this week? <laughs> Longer than the episode. <laughs> this week we had nothing valuable to say, so all we've got is an hour and a half of blooper. It's
2: midnight. I'm tired. I know. <laughs> of course, poor John, I hope you don't have things to do in the morning.
1: Yeah, it's only 3 a.m. there. <laughs> just just get the coffee going and just stay up. It might be easier. Can't do it with laughing in the background. <laughs>